was just thinking, I mean, what, when you sit down with people, when you're doing some advising, like, what do you get most excited about? Like talking to the clients about like, is it, is it the value? Like big picture, is it like value? Is it like potential money earned, saved mm-hmm. taxes? What pops up along the way? We're just like, Ooh, this is the fun part. I get to talk about whatever. Well, great question. I would say when I think back on the the last seven years and the clients that I've worked with, you know, there's a certain excitement to sitting down with a, when we do an initial consultation and somebody has seen me at a workshop or a lecture or something along those lines or a dinner or what have you. And they sitting down with me. I, I just love that first moment when I just, okay, Hey, great to meet you. Hope you got some value at the lecture. What can I help you with? And just, you know, whatever comes next, some are similar, but they're never the same. And then the hour long conversation Mm -hmm. that ensues after that is I love getting to know people, you know, you know, my background, I was a Mm -hmm. counselor before this. And as much as I got bored of that real quick, being a counselor, you know, I still loved the people and loved the ones that I felt like I could help. And being in financial planning is a little bit of a different atmosphere because I still feel like I'm utilizing quite a bit of the soft skills and the counselor stuff that I had of just the psychology, but it's more rewarding in a few different ways because number one, I get to, I get to really pick and choose who I can work with for one. Number two, it scratches the itch of being an entrepreneur and getting to really determine my future. But Mainly, I'm sitting down and listening for most of that hour when I first meet people and hearing about some of their fears and some of their goals and dreams and what they love and what they hate. And all those things makes for, I never get bored of that part. And I'll be sad if I ever have to get out of it and play CEO or you know do any of those things. But I hope I'll always be able to do a little bit of that. Money's an interesting one. Whenever I was first looking at the field of financial planning, I remember I was... Uh, meeting with a family friend that was the only financial advisor I knew and just talking to him. And he was a real genuine guy. And he said, being an advisor is interesting because there's a lot of people who, you know, the two most important things in their life and even, and he worked with a lot of Christians and he said, you know, the two most important things in their life, and they won't admit to this, but it's money and God and often on the same plane and sometimes not in the right order. And people will tell you things that they don't tell anybody else. And it's interesting. So that part, probably just my favorite part about being in financial planning and being a financial planner. And and then once I've been working with a client for a little while, that transition out of residency into practice is pretty fun. You know, sitting down for a first review meeting, they've mm-hmm. been in practice, they've gotten a few big paychecks and those are, I'm excited for them. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I have a client right now. I was the first one they told when they got pregnant. So that was kind of special. Oh, that's cool. That's it's just you have how many kids again? You have- I have four. Four kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the stuff that keeps me going quite a bit on that end. And um, topic-wise, what do I really like to to get into? I love talking about things that I know a lot about, <laughs> like anybody. <laughs> Say this and brag a little bit. I feel like we're probably the financial planners that know the most about like disability insurance. You know, with other than somebody that that's all they do is sell disability insurance, they're an insurance agent. For us being financial planners, we are licensed to sell it, but we've been doing it so long with doctors that 
we're we've got to be one of the experts as far as if we took a handful of financial planners. So I enjoy that part because that's probably one of the areas we get the most questions on because they're getting hit by these insurance companies or agents that are just going after them, trying to get a big policy, throwing them to some big policy that they shouldn't be in and getting a big commission and or getting some complicated thing. And 90% of the time when I sit down with these people that already have a policy, mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so can you tell me the details in your policy? And most of them are like, I have no idea. You know, I bought this in second year residency or whatever, and mm -hmm. I don't know. So it's fun sorting that out for people. You know, it's gratifying, but sad when I have to tell them that like you probably made a bad purchase here because <laughs> insurance is a sensitive topic. Investing is easy to talk about, right? Cash flow, budget, like, you know, those things mm -hmm. are fairly easy to talk about. But when I sit down and say, okay, let's talk about when you're going to die or when you're going to get mm -hmm. sick or injured or the mm -hmm. scary times in life, I think a lot of planners or advisors might avoid that. Yeah, I think here at Financial MD, we are happy to talk about it. We know a lot about it. And so it's, we get a lot of that kind of peace and comfort from clients knowing that, okay, it's good to know that I've sat down finally with somebody that I feel like cares about me, that, you know, is a fiduciary because I'm paying them, but they can help me sort out this insurance issue with without as much mm -hmm. anyway, conflict of interest and that kind of thing. So yeah, I like talking about that. It's easy. I like talking about estate planning. I've gotten to be friends with quite a few estate planning attorneys, some that I send clients to just getting to know that profession and that field is the nuances of estate planning, just that concept of trying to take what you've accumulated and earned and worked for. How do I pass this on to my family or charities or people that I care about? And is my conservative roots showing, how do I keep that mm -hmm. out of the government's hand as much as possible, you know, or my libertarian <laughs> bent? That's a fun kind of challenge. And I'm always trying to learn more about estate planning. I'm actually... yeah into the final class of the CFP coursework, which is estate planning. And so it's, I'm trying to really pay attention. Mm. It's super interesting. That's cool. Estate planning is something I'm not terribly familiar with, kind of for obvious reasons. I mean, hopefully I'm still not too close to the end of my life. And there's just so many other fish to fry in the short term. And Yeah. Yeah. That's know. what it feels like. And that's what a financial planner's job yeah. is to be like, help you prioritize what you yeah. should do first. You often have, if you've done a great job of planning, and if you've had a, uh, if you've been a high net worth individual, you often have the most money when you die. Mm -hmm. You can often have the most money you've had in your life when you die. And so mm -hmm. you have the most to lose, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good way to when, put it. When you have the most and you could potentially have the government take half, you kind of, you've done all that work. And then to have not organized what happens after you're gone can cost you more than any decision you ever made while alive. Yeah. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Oh, definitely. Yep. For sure. Case in point, who was it that died and his estate? This is different celebrity stories. I like listening to a podcast called celebrity estates and Howard Hughes estate, for example, was in the hundreds of millions at this point when he died, this was the great aviator. He helped to build some planes during world war II. He was just a, innovator in the field of aviation, Howard Hughes had an estate valued at, I think, a couple hundred million dollars, had no will, no trust, nothing, and really no family that was obvious to pass through in probate. And so within a few weeks, there were about 15 different wills that came forward. So anyway, yeah, Howard Hughes, he died, no will, had an estate probably around a couple hundred million, if I remember correctly. And then um, within a few weeks, about 15 different wills surfaced. <laughs> 
none of which proved to be valid. And the court just ended up dividing his stuff between a bunch of cousins. And wow. meanwhile, the probate costs just for the probate fees and court fees can be between three and 8%. Okay. So if you think about, let's say split the difference, 5% on 200 million is what? 10 million. So that sucks. And then there was a decent amount of estate taxes, I'm sure, which right now the estate tax rate is about 40%. If Mm -hmm. you've got a net worth over 11 million as a couple, which when we look at 30, 40, 50 years from now, when a lot of us are going to die, that's not a high number. And if we think of trends and what, say, this administration has proposed to do some tax changes, one of the big ones is pulling that ceiling way back down so that if you have a million or half a million net worth, which is very common, then you're going to be looking at estate taxes. So um, it'll be much more critical to know how you're set up for estate purposes and Mm -hmm. trying to avoid that. You know, and then just the cost and things notwithstanding, just the fact of I want to make sure that whomever is important to me that gets what I feel like they deserve, whether it's, again, Mm -hmm. charities or family or whatever. Yeah, the money actually goes where you want it to go. Yeah, so there's a lot of risk there that we want to try to mitigate. And, you know, I I guess it kind of feels like when you think of all the areas from investing to insurance to estate planning to tax planning, like a lot of it's just like minimizing the risks that are involved. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if you can just avoid some of the landmines and pitfalls, we'll do pretty well, you know, especially mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah, that's right. We have significantly less, although that's sort of like a big area of potential change here coming up with how much money is being printed, but we have significantly less existential threats in the United States, or we have, it's probably more accurate. Yeah. We have had less threats that can completely undermine the value of our money or work or our government is not likely to seize our businesses or our assets because they've changed their priorities or yeah. the administration has changed um, or a coup has occurred. And <laughs> right. that is a luxury beyond luxury in our on our planet. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty uncommon. Yeah. I mean, let alone your own personal safety, that of your family, mm-hmm. you know, all the crazy stuff that can happen and have in the last hundred years. So, yeah. When you think anyway, on the side, you're like, I heard an interesting tidbit today. Spain or Portugal is going to have a three year experiment of doing a four day work week. So as a country, that's interesting. That's very cool. I wonder who came up with that. I'm going to have to Google that. I don't know. Millennials probably. I. More power to them, if so. <laughs> yeah. What would the world be like if we all had an extra day? Here's the thing, like, depending on which generation or, or whatever your perspective is, your usually it doesn't even matter your generation, just how your brain has been programmed over the years of what your experience and exposure is. You've got this idea, oh, five, five days is what is done. And that is, mm-hmm. that is best. That shows hard work. That shows commitment. That shows... So you attribute like these values to this system Yeah. when the system doesn't care what values you've attributed to it. The five day work week doesn't care whether you think that means that your employees are working hard. Yeah. It, it doesn't care. It's just, it's just a system, right? So what if the system is not optimized for performance and or happiness 
or growth or whatever. And, and all of a sudden the four day work week is actually what causes your company to grow and you to pull in better talent and people want to stay there because they like to be able to travel on the weekends, whatever it yeah. is. Like, it's so easy to go, oh yeah, that's a millennial thing. And kids these days don't want to work and blah, blah, blah. It's much more the case that our generation just wants to question the value, the base, like first principles thought of like, right. okay, five-day work week, is it best or not? Is it optimizing the things that are company or family or whatever unit our church values mm -hmm. or does our church value different things okay then what if we align those values with how we work our hours throughout the week and then all of a sudden the conversation's not like righteous or self-righteous basis of philosophy it's now how do we work together to accomplish what we actually wanted to accomplish and again this is why we like financial planning is because there are a million different ways to do financial planning and tons of different goals that people come to the table with, or even just values. And they haven't even made their goals yet. For some people, they probably sit down with you. Tell me if this is the case. They probably sit down with you and they really haven't put together goals. And oh, they've never really sure. thought about their life in terms of goals, but yeah. they did have values and they had never put names and words to those values. Yeah. Now they sit down with you and they realize, okay, there's actual limitations to how much like monetary energy I can create with my job, which means I have to focus that limited time, limited monetary energy that time is converted into. And then that can be targeted towards goals that can make a difference in the world around you, the physical world around you, just by purposely pursuing them. And you can actually achieve more goals if you plan appropriately. And if you you know, save in certain ways or you invest in certain ways or you give your money to certain groups of people who also make similar or wise decisions that they're goal-oriented and value-oriented. It becomes exponential. Yeah, that's why you have a cool job. I mean, you get to rubber meets the road for a lot of people for the first time in their life and working with yeah. doctors, it's while they're in the thick of it as residents. And then, like you said, you get to be one of the cool parts is you get to be part of that transition with your clients. Most of them have a five X or 10 X increase, or some of them even higher on their salary. Mm -hmm. Like at the flip of graduation from the residency. Right. And now they have this entirely new powerful tool to change the inform the world around them and their lives and that of their family. I mean, and if the right, framework which you have and financial advisors have now all of a sudden you can channel that energy yeah and that's it i mean it's uh we sat down and added up one day just an estimate of the wealth that's gonna the income that's gonna happen for you know if there's a million and a half attending physicians and they're averaging even just two hundred thousand dollars a year of income over a 30-year career that's it's getting into the trillions of dollars and so mm -hmm. we began to realize at Financial MD when, when we birthed this vision, like what, what's at stake and what we potentially have influence over. If we can take just a piece of that and, yeah. and influence it for good, I'll mm -hmm. die a happy man knowing that, you know, my company helped to 
steer the trajectory of society by taking these high income individuals that some of them will do good things for sure. Some of them will have good advice for sure. But we just want to be able to impact a a small fraction of that for the good to say, hey, let's just pause for a second and sit down and see, A, what's important to you in life? And how do we make choices with your finances that are in line with those values? And how can we, after taking care of yourself, and I try to push all my clients to think through this, you know, you take care of yourself for sure, take care of your family, we get that. But the third step that most of them don't think about is how do you try and take care of the world around you? And I'm not saying sacrifice Mm -hmm. yourself to do that, although I would say I believe there should be some of that. But almost mm-hmm. all my clients are able to make an impact in the world around them without really crimping their lifestyle at all. It's so much so that if we were to say, what's your target client? Obviously, it's physicians. But to be even more specialized, it's physicians that have enough care about the world around them that they want to mm-hmm. make a difference in some way. And I've talked to some that really just don't care and they're just not a good fit here. And I can't get them to think of, you know, and I'll push them too. like, come on, if you could give a million dollars to something between now and the end of your life, and it really made an impact on something, what would that be? What charity, what mission, what cause, what, whatever. And, you know, mm-hmm. I can usually get something out of people there, but some people are just, nah, I just, you know, want to be happy. Like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. And I think, and you're talking to residents too who are like drowning and like stress and yeah right it's definitely hard to you think. know what i mean i feel like i'm just you know how they they talk about like uh, the cliche term i think in like i don't know if it was the 2000s or the 90s or whatever but it's yeah. self-actualization right yep of like becoming your better or greater or truer self and yeah uh all the humanist side of, of psychology mm-hmm. yeah okay okay yeah and there's lots, there's some good movies, I feel like, where people talk about that. Mm-hmm. Fargo season two, there's a great character who's always trying to self-actualize. And, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I can't remember who plays it now. Uh, Kristen Dunst, I think. Oh. Um, anyways, it's, it's very funny the way that she's always trying to do that. And it's yeah. just kind of flighty and purposeless, but it's like self-actualization for the self for the sake of self-actualization. Right. But if you actually do that, yeah, you can you can you can make a huge impact. And some people when you're a resident, let me just speak from my experience in residency, you like basically were forced to practically speaking, you didn't have time to and my mentors, you know, some of whom really just I had one person specifically tell me that you are not Trevor, who's a doctor, you're, you're a doctor who happens to be is that you're now a working physician. Yep. And that's from somebody who is honestly like a great person, a great mentor, really made a huge difference for all the residents throughout our training. Very grateful. Okay. But it's just a different perspective. Yeah. And it doesn't certainly doesn't help you free your mind to think like, oh, what are the possibilities that I can build in my life? Like what what do I want to do and be? And that's like a nice version of what some people are told in residency. Yeah. Like some people get way, way worse than that. And once you get out, it takes time, I think, for those layers of of sort of like stress. And I mean, in some cases for people, it's certainly like toxic environments that they've had to work in. Yeah. And that stuff has to 
you have to be in healthy environments for that stuff to kind of like heal and like kind of like wipe away all that dirt that helps you to see you know more clearly so sure. anyways for me i feel like i'm just kind of getting there and i've been a couple of years out and I've, i'm learning a ton and i'm always interested in lots of things but it still takes a while to just be like what do i want because i was told what my goal was for mm-hmm. a while you know yeah and a lot of us who end up in med school at all were told by our parents or by mentors of like you should do this because it's the best you can do it's just pure optimization yeah your interests don't matter and it's not that they don't matter because we think they're bad yeah. They don't matter because your goal is to be the best you can be, right? And that's especially um, true in the Asian culture. I've talked to a lot of um, Indians and Middle Eastern that that's, yeah. in fact, I was freshman at Michigan State, lived in the dorms, and on my floor was an Indian girl who I became good friends with. And one day I just asked her because she was pre-med, and I was like, uh-huh. how come all you guys are either like doctors or engineers are like that's but mostly doctors it seems she's like well you know we we grow up with our parents helping us to to be the best that we can be and our expectation on us is that you'll then go and doesn't matter what you want to do you're gonna do the best thing that is out there in the world from a financial standpoint from a prestigious standpoint mm-hmm. to them it's a doctor and so that was just the ultimate mm-hmm. goal in life yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, tons of my classmates. I'm grateful to have been able to go to a, a great medical school and then also medical school that really valued diversity. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I grew up in a small Dutch community in West Michigan, how yeah. Michigan, right? Yeah. Like the amount that I learned about just like the world and what is out there. And I, I was fortunate to grow up in a family where I traveled abroad and my parents uh, did like mission trips that were like genuinely made a difference yeah. um, in Jamaica. We go there every year with with a hmm. group of college students. My dad was a professor, and okay, um, so I had a bit of a global perspective. But still, it's just it's not the same as being surrounded right. by like a right. diverse community of people with different backgrounds. And yeah, I mean that was very common. You'd hear that across the board. Like one of the common jokes is like, my parents told me I could be anything I wanted as long as it was a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, right. or like I had friends who in a non-joking way, I would say like, yeah, my, my brother's like applying to medical school again. My parents have always been disappointed with him. And I'm like, well, what is he yeah. doing? He's an engineer. You know, it's like, yeah, they're like super smart. They're making probably as much or more than physicians in their lifetime. Yeah. But yeah, it's a different priority. So all that to say, like, I think, I think it takes a lot of like sort of unwrapping the programmed mindset that we get and then yeah. we program ourselves to be able to study as much as we have to study to get through all the training so yeah for anybody who's listening i mean it's i i actually um i talked to like a life coach or like a career coach Mm -hmm. person a couple years ago and that was super helpful because they equip you with a skill set we weren't taught which is thinking through your thoughts in a different way like it's not so much introspection it's just like focusing your critical thinking that you learned in medicine yeah on your own decision making for your life and it's yeah. sort of like we kind of went a little bit hands off to stay on the conveyor belt and not think too long not think too much about the fact that we're giving up our 20s 
Yeah. And so you're used to like making big decisions and like not really thinking too much about where it sends you. Mm-hmm. And I find it really helpful to talk to, this is a physician career coach. And okay. just to think about somebody who's also done it and been through it and been burnt out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They have that perspective and Anyways, I, I think that's very helpful. It's a growing thing right now. I think the physician philosopher from, right. he's got some white coat connections. I think he started some sort of coaching thing. I oh, yeah. be a coach now too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can see why it's popping up. There's a huge need for it and it's really great. I mean, in financial planning, you have to have your why to be your motivator to stick to a plan. Yep. And I think it's why a lot of people don't end up getting disability insurance when they should early on and they don't Mm -hmm. put money into the Roth IRA when they can afford to, they just don't have a why to motivate them because they have it. They're not looking at their life. Like it's their own, you know, they're kind of, you almost have to step outside of yourself to make it through the training to sacrifice that much. So yeah. Anyways, I totally recommend anybody to, to get a, a few sessions with a career coach or a life coach, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Any that are with a physician is Mm. particularly beneficial. Yeah. That was a huge rant about coaches and life perspective, but it's very important. You have to have big motivators and the ones that are truest to yourself are the ones that are going to make a difference. Other people's dreams of being a multimillionaire, they're not going to motivate you. You're not going to care. You have to, you have to want something yourself and you have to know that it's your own thing that you want. That should just come from you. Or you won't get there. Yeah. What is the phrase? Know thyself, right? Yeah. That's tough. That's like the toughest part of life, I think. Yeah. Well, that's probably our time. There's so much more we could go into that, but um, thanks for switching seats and asking the questions today a little more, but we've got some great uh, resources continuing to come out. We're going to be coming out with an online course for residents. This summer is the plan. So that's in the works. We're super excited about that. It'll be a kind of do-it-yourself approach, uh, step-by-step, what to do, when to do it, and just a lot of good on-demand education. So be on the lookout for that. Um, join the Financial MD Facebook community. So search for that. Um, you'll also find it on our website, financialmd.com. Check out the didactic minute videos on YouTube and Facebook. Those come out once a week, which is quick two-minute topics, tips, finances, something to move you forward a little bit. And uh, I don't know, keep an eye on TikTok too. We'll be throwing stuff out mm-hmm. there. But uh, yeah, that's I'm learning from my teenage <laughs> daughter how to use that. So uh, lots of great stuff. We're trying to give you a again, just to, to know more things. And that's usually a good thing. So hope it helped again with the Financial MD Show. This is John Salitro and my host is Dr. Trevor Smith, co-host. And with that, we'll see you next time.